New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring how to capture UFOs on video. My guest is Dr. Courtney Brown, who is a professor at Emory University specializing in nonlinear mathematics and their application in fields of sociology and political science. He is the author of Cosmic Journey, Cosmic Explorers and Remote Viewing, a scientific and theoretical analysis of non-physical perception. But we're going to be talking about physical perception today. Courtney is the founder of an organization called the Farsight Institute. It's been actively looking at the UFO phenomenology for some three decades. Uh, let's begin, Courtney. Well, welcome. Thank you. It's great being here. And uh, once again, thank you for making the journey to Albuquerque. I love being here. Let's begin with the story of how this technology was, I would have to say, gifted to you. At Farsight, we specialize in the subject of remote viewing, which we'll be talking about later in another interview. And the interest in me, I always had an interest in, since it's non-physical perception, in extraterrestrials and extraterrestrial ships and so on. But we always knew we'd have to get at some point to the point where we would be offering proof. Now, remember, I'm a mathematician, so I don't use the word proof lightly. We'd have to use proof that the, give proof that the extraterrestrials actually exist. So we'd have to get past the disclosure problem of the government and the authorities saying they don't exist and they don't, there's nothing there's nothing there yeah. we're alone in the universe and things like that we'd have to actually prove that they exist in some way but we developed the remote viewing side because we didn't have a way to prove that they existed until 2022 <laughs> 2022 came about where Panasonic came out with a new type of camera we always used Panasonic cameras. We used the GH4, we used the GH5s, but then they came out with the GH6s. Now, they were a little pricey, so we didn't buy it, but then something really strange happened. Somebody came to us who was an air traffic controller in some of the busiest and major airports in the United States, including the Washington International, the big airport in the most highly controlled airspace on the planet. And he came to us, it was a friendly thing, but there's some interesting things about it. He paid his own aircraft ticket to come to us. You were based in Atlanta. He came to Atlanta, and he was from Washington, D.C., because yeah. that's where he works. He has been a consultant also for the FAA. He's, been a, uh, he's, he's, he's published in leading aeronautical industry journals. 
He's a big shot. He's one of the most senior traffic. He's been one of the most senior tra air traffic controllers in the towers at the Washington Airport. And he didn't exactly appear out of the blue, as I recall. No. You'd had a previous relationship with him as a student. Entisam was one of our remote viewers at works at Farsight, and he actually took courses with her. He was interested in it, and then. Uh, he also, because he's an air traffic controller, he looks at the skies for a living. He was interested in, since we, since you can use remote viewing to see things like ETs, he was interested in physically seeing them. Yeah. So he started to experiment with uh, his phone. He has an iPhone, and he started to experiment with it. And you, you know those 3D glasses that are red on one side and blue on the other, and you get them in movie theaters? He cut them up so that the lenses were separate and he stapled them together and he taped it on top of his lens for his iPhone. And what that did, I'm not sure he understood how that was happening, what was going on, but he somehow knew to do that. I don't know how he knew to do that without knowing what he was doing, but he taped them on top of the lens. The red lets in infrared. The red and the blue together blocks out almost all visible light. And so the light that can get through is going to be the infrared stuff. There's not much ultraviolet light in the atmosphere, so it's really mostly infrared. And so what happens is the phone rank, you know, gears up its uh, automatic gain control to try to get any light as what's what at all. But there is no visible light that's coming in because of the red and the blue together. So what he ends up getting is mostly the ultraviolet, mostly the infrared. Mm -hmm. And he started taking videos um, with his iPhone, with this makeshift thing of the Washington, D.C. area, and he started to get a whole bunch of UFOs. Uh, interesting configurations, different shapes and everything. Yeah. So the Washington, D.C. area was like filled with them. And these were things on demand, any 10-minute period that he would do it. Now, he then came to us. He offered to come to us. And he came to us with everything, a complete package. He came to us with Excel spreadsheets, which had aeronautical data, all types of everything, the analysis of it, how you analyze distance, speed, size, everything. And then he came to us with recommendations for things he didn't even have. He said, what you need is a GH6 camera. He didn't even have one, but he knew we, need, we needed a GH6 and he knew that we needed to send it to a specific company called LifePixel, lifepixel.com, to have it converted. Now, there are other places that do conversion. What they do is they take the sensor, and the sensor of all cameras has a glass filter on top of it that blocks out infrared and ultraviolet because you don't want that in your images. However, that glass filter on top of the sensor has to be removed. Now, some other companies that remove that put a replacement glass filter that's supposed to be optically neutral. But we didn't want anything. We wanted the, the, the original uh, filter to be taken off and then have the sensor being naked completely. And LifePixel does that. So uh, he knew the company we needed to send it to, uh, and he knew the extra filters. Once you take the filter off of the sensor, you have to put another filter on top of the lens he knew all about that. He didn't have any of that, but he knew all about that. And uh, to tune into the bandwidth that you want in the electromagnetic spectrum to get the exact 
infrared spectrum part that you want. And so he we and he and then he showed us a lot of videos on my on our big screen in our own in our own office, um, standing up with a laser pointer and everything, showing the videos of these UFOs that were very clearly UFOs. Mm -hmm. Now, by UFO, we're talking about unidentified flying object. Physical things that were clearly as physical as could be. You could see the light reflecting off of them and things like that. The, the term UFO does not necessarily imply that they are extraterrestrial spacecraft. No, they were, uh, and he was very clear about that. He's not saying where they came from, but these are the things people have been talking about forever, yeah. UFOs. And he says, he, and he said, this is how you take pictures. Uh, and then he also talked about the frame rate issue because they go so fast. And he was telling us the speeds. And we said, what speeds? And he said, typically we're seeing them at 20,000 miles an hour. I said, what? That's 32,000 kilometers an hour. And so that was like, anyway, so he told us to get the camera. So we already had GH5s. So then we had to raise some money to get two GH6s. <laughs> and then we had to take those GH6s and ship them out to Life Pixel. That was in December of 2022. He came to us in December of 2022. We, sh we got our cameras. We shipped them out in late December 2022. They came back in early January. And we started on January 10th taking our first videos. I was sort of skeptical. Now, my son, Aziz, he says, Dad, just follow exactly what... Now, his name is Lincoln Lounsbury, so he's not hiding who he is. Follow exactly what Lincoln said to do, step by step. Try to duplicate it. So we were used to using like log footage or or monochrome or some different settings. He said, and we said, no, do it. My son said, do exactly what Lincoln said to do. Standard video settings. And then we shot at 120 frames a second, which was as fast as the, in, in 4K, that was as fast as the GH5, as GH6 could do. Now, the thing about the GH6, why it was unusual, is you have to shoot wide angle because you can't see these things. They're invisible, both because of some stealth technology that you can see them only in infrared. And secondly, they're going 20,000 miles an hour. So it, it could be the size of the Titanic. You're not going to see it if it's 20,000 miles an hour. So... We shot it at 120 frames a second, and we followed the other sort of recommendations that he did. And then I, I took the footage I shot for 10 minutes, and I was sort of skeptical. I said, hey, how is this going to work? Over your house in Atlanta, I, as I recall. Yes, at my house, on the deck in my house in Atlanta. And uh, it's actually the town of Decatur, which is just outside of Atlanta. And we just shot for 10 minutes, and I wasn't expecting anything, because how, how often do you... I've been thinking, I've been chasing UFOs with remote viewing forever, and... It, yeah, what are the odds that in a random 10-minute period, in the view, view of a camera pointed upward at the sky, you're going to get a UFO? It, was, it seemed to be pretty rare, but I followed his advice, and he gave us a lot of specific instruction too. The top of the camera, the top of the camera had, to, the camera is horizontal because it's pointed straight up, but the top of it had to be pointed north. And I had to run some other software like Flight Radar 24 in order to be able to capture all other aircraft that were in the sky. And that turned out to be important because there were some other aircraft 
and he had to be able, and that was uh, enabling him to exactly triangulate the exact moment and the space and the altitude of the UFO because he knew the altitude of the aircraft. So we did it, not expecting much, at least I wasn't expecting much. I think Aziz was a little bit more hopeful. And I put it into the software. I, we used Adobe Premiere. I slowed it way down because it was 120 frames a second. So I slowed it way down so I could watch it frame by frame going through. And my eyes popped out. It was like, this is one of those experiences you have only once or twice in your whole life. You do something first time out and like it's right in front of you. In 10 minutes, we had like 30, 40 UFOs right over my house. Mm -hmm. And some of them were huge. And <laughs> they were they were swooping down like Star Wars jet, you know, like like Star Wars uh, Tie Fighters. They were going whoosh like this, going this, going up, and they were going across. And, and one was, was like a sh and there was one like a cigar shape, long cigar shape, and it was going from the low altitude upwards because you could see it getting shorter, and it went right by a jet, the big airliner coming out of Hartsville Airport. And that was great because then a Lincoln could estimate the speed because you can see how fast it's shrinking. We had two cameras going at the time, so we and we had a visible light camera. Plus, we had two ultraviolet light, two ultraviolet. I mean, I'm sorry, two infrared cameras. And so he was able to get all types of triangulation to be able to see how fast it was going, how fast it was going up, and it went right by the jet, right by the airliner. And it was like, and it was cigar shape. It was solid, and it was like what? And it was our first time to turn the cameras on. And it was like one of those double-take moments where you go, huh? what? It, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and then we went out again later on in January, like a week later, and the same thing happened. Then we went out again, and the same thing happened. And I said, how many UFOs are there up there? Well, Courtney, we've already completed an interview. And in fact, I can link to it. Uh, the first interview we did while you were here with me in Albuquerque, talking about your life story. Yeah, and uh, one of the things about your life story is that ever since childhood, you seem to have had some kind of a connection with uh, alien beings. Yeah. And, and so the fact that they showed up around your house just as you're using this camera for the first time might be a result of uh, that, your, your personal connection. It could be. However, we have since found out that almost all of the ships that were fight that were that were recording are not friendly ones. So most of them are. We have two general groups of of ETs that we've been the finding, and the ones that are most dominant on the planet right now are what we call the bad guys, the bad ETs. And so most of the ones that we've been seeing are from. They're heavy in numbers, but they're not necessarily the ones that we consider okay. friends. But yes, they. So, but nonetheless, and also to check this out, we have gone other places. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of video recording at Pensacola and Pensacola, Florida, over the Naval Air Station, and I have tons of stuff. I went to Africa uh, near Malindi to record, and I recorded for five days in Kenya, and uh, I did not get many. I got only one UFO over five days in Kenya, so they're not equally present all over the planet. But I did get something in Kenya. And so they're generally speaking all over the place, whether you consider them the good ETs or the bad ETs, somebody's up there. And there are they are physical craft. Now you can be discussing whether they're ETs or maybe they're US technology or XYZ or 
but they're physical because they they block out the light. You can see them going into a cloud. They disappear in the cloud, then they come out the other side. So they're, they're and Lincoln Lounsbury, the aircraft control person, he's really good at telling you exactly their speed. He also talks about the air configuration, the configuration of the craft, that it doesn't have any airfoils, it doesn't have any wings. Uh, he goes over and no, and he talks about the propulsion systems because air traffic control people, that's they observe that all the time. They know how many engines, what kind of engines, what kind of propulsion system. They know how many wings there are, whether it's a biplane or whether it's a normal. They know everything about the aircraft. So he makes all those observations, including speed and distance observations, to be able to say, this is one of those unidentified flying object type things. Mm -hmm. And I know because I was there, one of the reasons you're here with me today is that we met in Bloomington, Indiana last July at the annual conference of the Society for Scientific Exploration, where you presented this material. You gave technical details to people as to how they can duplicate exactly what you've been doing. It's not a proprietary secret. I think you want as many people as possible to experiment with this uh, apparent technology. Jeff, that's a really important point. We have discovered that no matter what image you show or video you show somebody, if you say this is the this is the real thing and you now need to believe in an alien spacecraft or UFOs or UAPs or whatever, a debunker is going to come along and say, ah, it's a smudge. It's a glitch. It's a thing with the sensor. It's a this. It's a, it's a bug. It's a whatever. It's a bird. They're going to say something no matter what you show them. And the only way around that is to say, look, I'm not trying to convince you that my video is the golden, the golden grail, the holy grail. It isn't the perfect thing. What I'm trying to convince you is this is what we're doing to take these particular videos. If you're impressed with the videos, we would like you to go out, buy yourself a camera, or take the cameras you have, follow the same procedures, and you make your own videos. See, the debunkers can, can debunk any picture that you say that you right. see from somebody else, but they can't debunk your own video. If you did it, then you know it's real, and... People who know you know it's real, and there's nothing the debunkers can do about that. So it's a way to get around the debunkers. You also have to know not only how to do it with the camera, but you have to know how to edit the footage afterwards to see them. So, But once you do everything right, they just pop up. And at this point in time, I gather there are numbers of people not affiliated with the Farsight Institute who are also using this methodology. We have a community now of people who are doing it. We started it by showing people how we do it. And on our website, farsight.org, we have a link near the top of the nav bar that links to a page that goes through all of the details, the camera, the lens, the specifications, the settings on the camera, and then it goes into how to edit it. Now, we use Adobe Premiere, so we go through all of the different things that you do for Adobe Premiere to be able to see these things. And we have now a community of people who are doing it, but it's something more. They're doing it and they're starting to post it on their social media. So it's not, before this, there was always a few, say, Instagram sites 
that were posting other people's UFO videos. And one thing that was sort of annoying to me is typically they don't credit those people. They don't say this came from that person or from that other Instagram site. They're just getting videos that are sent to them and posting them and not giving sort of background for that. And I didn't like that. So what is really good when we show people how to do it and then they do it, then they're getting credit for their particular thing. There's also a community of people who are following what Lincoln Lounsbury did because he ended up participating in one of our shows that we have at farsightprime.com which called Identified Flying Objects, where he actually talks with Intisum uh, about the actual specifications, the actual numbers. He tells at the speeds. He, and he's, he's a very senior air traffic control expert, so he tells about, he goes through the speeds, the distance, all the, the configuration aspects of the mm-hmm. craft, and the likelihood that it is uh, an, like a natural thing, like a bug or a bird, which is zero versus an artificial craft, which is 100%. And it goes through, you know, the reasoning for why that. Mm-hmm. So people can always say, uh, it's a it's a bug or a bird, or it's going, it's just, it's a bug that's too close to the camera, so it looks like it's going fast. He gives the reasons for why that cannot be as an expert in air traffic control. We also are experts in the use of cameras, so we know it's not bugs. First of all, we know it's not bugs for two reasons. If the bug is close, it's out of focus. And this thing, these cameras are focused on infinity. In addition, they're focused on infinity with specific reference to the nanometer band of the infrared that we're using. So we have to focus, you can't focus it according to the dial on the lens. You have to focus it uh, manually uh, to get the exact focus for infinity, for infrared, for that particular nanometer band. And if a bug is close, it's simply going to be out of focus. If it's sort of far away, you have to zoom in in post to see it, and then you can tell because it has wings. We have discovered, this is the thing I always like to tell people, that we have made a major discovery at Farsight. And, you know, I I say, I'd like to have credit for it, put my name on it, the Nobel Prize is, is just around the corner. We have discovered that all bugs and birds that fly have wings. We discovered that. And we also <laughs> and we also discovered that when they fly, they flap their wings. Yes, we discovered it. And so what happens? Of course, it's a stupid joke. But nonetheless, the point is when you zoom in, you see the wings. Yeah. And you see them. You see some type of oscillation on the side. If it's out of focus, you still see the oscillation. If it's in focus, you actually see the veins in the wings for the bugs. It's really sort of spooky, but when you see... And if you play it really slow motion, it looks like a National Geographic type of special on public television where they're going like this and this. <laughs> but you see the wings. Yeah. The UFOs, they're a craft. You, go, you see them going in and out of clouds. Whatever the configuration is, they don't have wings. Nothing flaps on the sides. Yeah. Now, I should let our viewers know who might be interested in duplicating what you've done here, because it potentially is a huge breakthrough, that the links to the technical details can be found in the description of this video. Yeah, in fact, for those people who are especially skeptical and don't even want to take the time to go to our website, farsight.org, to read the, to read the, the full specs and the procedures, they can just go to Instagram because 
we started to post, uh, I started to post a lot of these UFO videos um, on my personal Instagram page, and that's simple. Courtney Brown Farsight, all one word, Courtney Brown Farsight on Instagram. And there's a whole bunch of them, yeah. ones that I've taken in my outside of my house, ones that I've taken on Pensacola, ones that I've taken in Kenya. And you have all types of configurations, the orb types, plus you have the cigar-shaped ones passing the jets. Plus you even have, we have one situation where we had uh, sort of cloaking energy surrounding a really huge ship. Uh, and you actually see that rippling through the atmosphere and so we have a, a ton of them, and I put them on Instagram because uh, unlike YouTube Shorts, you really have to be sort of... And YouTube Shorts are better if you're sitting at a computer. But Instagram videos are great if you have your phone. And so everyone just has their phone, so they just whip out their phone, go to Courtney Brown, Farsight, and they see them. And that gives, us sort of, that gives you sort of a, a visceral idea of the types of things we're talking about. Well, we should let our viewers know that just last night when you arrived in Albuquerque here, we took your camera out into my back porch, pointed it up at the sky, got all the settings as specified, and let the camera run for 20 minutes, yeah. and then ran it through the Adobe Premiere editing system. Yeah, we did it. And I have to confess, uh, there was a selfish reason as well as wanting to uh, show you that the thing works. The selfish reason was I didn't have any footage from Albuquerque. I have it from Kenya. I have it from Florida. I have it from Georgia, things like that. But this was a chance to get some footage. So I said, Jeff, we have some minutes. It's early in the afternoon. Can't we just sort of go out and you need to see it yourself? So the selfish reason was I was wondering if there was UFOs over Albuquerque. And the, but the most important one was I wanted to say, you saw the presentation that I gave at the Society for Scientific Exploration meeting at Indiana University. I wanted to show you that it wasn't trickery, that you could see in your own eyes. So it was also... I enjoyed doing things with you. It was fun. Yeah, we had a good time. We had a good time. Uh, things did show up, primarily a, a couple of orbs and, and actually quite a few insects. Yeah, now, and we were able to show how to tell the difference between a UFO and an insect. Yeah. On the insects, um, if they were close, they were sort of fuzzy, but you could still see a vibration on the side of them. And if they were... Far, sort of farther away, they were smaller, but if you zoom in, you still see something on the side that's going back and forth as they move. Anything where you see it moving and it's going back and forth, something's on the side moving back and forth, you know it's either a bug or a bird. Birds are sufficiently big enough that you can actually see them as birds. Bugs, you often, unless they're close, you, you well, if they're close and the camera's out of focus, then for UFOs, then it probably is in focus for something close, and you can actually see the bugs really close up. But if it's in focus on infinity, and you're looking at a bug, it'll be a little bit out of focus, but you'll still see that vibration on the sides of it. And then we found four orbs, and one was really good, and we did it together. We were sitting side by side, and we both saw it. Now, we had, it took a while, because we were scrubbing through the footage yeah. looking for something that was clearly not a bug. Frame by frame. Frame by frame. And it took a while, and you, you were getting pretty tired at the <laughs> end. That's true. But uh, nonetheless, we finally came across yeah. one, and uh, it was a really good one yeah. in terms of an orb. It had a really clear sort of distinction. It had clearly no wings on it. It was mm -hmm. moving through. 
And um, there's two things. A, it was really valuable to do it with you. And second, I had a blast. It was fun to do it with you. So. But when it comes to orbs, I think there's a, a whole culture uh, of people. I, I know people who photograph orbs using a regular camera. They don't need special filters. Sometimes they talk to the orbs and the orbs will move around uh, in response to them. These orbs seem conscious. They're, Orbs seem to be a very distinct category of a phenomenon that, for all I know, is of earthly origin. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're physical, but they might be biological, for all I know, rather than some kind of technical craft. Well, the issue with the orbs is that they are the most common configuration that we see in terms of unidentified flying things. Secondly, some people with visible light cameras only, not infrared, do capture them. So occasionally it does happen. The difference here is we're showing methods where you can capture them on demand at any random time during the day. We have not been successful so far in capturing them at night using the same procedures. But if you do it during the day, we have had no problems capturing them in, in major cities, for example, in the United States. I'm sure you'd capture them just equally as well over London or major cities in Europe. But with regard to being on demand versus lucky, mm -hmm. that's a big difference. So yes, they do do that. And that means that the orbs have an ability to show themselves in visible light if they want to. But it's not as often as otherwise. But if you're using a correctly configured camera, Every time when you want it, you got them. Which suggests that they, you know, we have no idea the uh, extent to which we're surrounded by these, whatever they are. There are they are in enormous numbers. Now, I went down to the Pensacola Naval Air Base because Lincoln Lounsbury, the air traffic control person who seems to know everything, he said, they're really great about air shows. They love air shows. Go down to an air show. <laughs> so I said, I followed everything else he did. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing for me to say. I have to give credit where credit's due. I'm the one presenting how to do this, so it looks like I'm a genius. I didn't figure this out. We were clueless on how to do this. This was given to us. The guy came into our studio. He had Excel spreadsheets with all technical details. Yeah. It was a complete package. He had videos. He had demonstration videos. He had everything. He, he knew the exact camera. He knew the exact company to send it to for configuration. Yeah. He knew everything, and he told us everything, and we simply followed the instructions. Yeah. So here I am presenting it looking like Mr. Wiz, but I have to say I didn't figure this out. Okay. The fact that it seems to work within a 10 or 20 minute period as as we did last night in various locations primarily urban locations so far suggests that this is not what what is known as thoughtography there's a whole field where uh, people who have psychic uh, or psychokinetic talents yeah. can impress their thoughts on film on camera and this is done all over the world. Uh, there are many images that are UFO-like images that are produced this way. They seem to be specific to the a particular operator, a psychokinetic agent. And you're suggesting that this works independently of the agent. 
which we demonstrated yesterday afternoon when we did it with a camera at a random time on your porch. Uh, yeah, except uh, you might be a psychokinetic agent. <laughs> okay, I could be. But, um, you know, that's always, you can always sort of, but nonetheless, they do appear. And, and as you say, there's a community of people doing this besides yourself. Some of them are using, they're all getting good results. That's yeah. So far, they all email me. Mm -hmm. And so far, we've not had anybody come back disappointed. They're all getting good results. They're not all posting on social media because it's all new to them. Getting the camera, getting it configured, doing the shooting, learning how to edit it. We actually show all the steps, but still, it's all new to them. Yeah. The last step is posting it on social media. Now, we have a video on farsightprime.com that goes through a complete example all the way through editing it to put on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so the, the information is there, but still it's a ton of stuff. Now, when we were doing the the, just the shooting part yesterday, you saw how complicated it was. Yeah. There were so many settings I had to have exactly right, and I had to remember them. And at first, I turned on the camera, and then I realized I had a setting or two wrong. I had to turn off the camera, reset everything. I had to make sure everything was shooting at 4K because you can't zoom in with the lens. We have a zoom camera, a zoom lens on the camera, but you can't use it in zoom mode because you can't see what you're shooting at. So you have to shoot wide angle. So it has to be in 4K because when you zoom in, you have to zoom in in post using, say, Adobe Premiere or some other editing program. So once you zoom in, then you can see them. But like shooting in 4K, 120 frames a second, that's 120 snapshots. Each frame is a snapshot every second in 4K. That's a big thing all onto a memory card that's inside the computer. That was hard to do, and when Panasonic came out with that, the GH6s, that's what that was great. And I should warn any of your viewers that if you have your your camera converted, it voids the warranty. So Panasonic may not be particularly happy about you 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 know modifying their camera, but they're probably happy that you're buying the camera <laughs> and. That, and now Sony also has a camera that you can do, but it's more expensive and it's bigger. We had to have cameras that were relatively small, um, and we needed I needed to take them to Africa and to the beach and multiple places. And well, you saw the one we. It's not really small, but it's it's not huge. And another interesting factoid is that you put a frame around the camera to protect it when you're traveling with it. Yeah, I always buy, when I have a camera that I'm traveling around with, I buy a metal frame that goes around the outside of it, and it adds stability to it and sturdy in case I drop it. And also, if you're screwing onto the tripod directly into the camera, you're putting torsion on the actual body of the camera. This way, if the frame is there sort of holding the camera, it's, it's a bit more sturdy. Mm -hmm. And also, you don't want any type of vibration because these these crafts are moving at 20,000 miles an hour, you want the camera to be as rock steady as possible. And so, um, yeah, we use a, we did, we did put, now the frames are not expensive, but they are an additional component that sort of gives it some solidity. In our previous interview, you talked about some of the remote viewing work you do and some of the personal experiences that you've had that uh, appear to be uh, direct communication with alien intelligences, yeah. non-human yeah. intelligences. Yeah. 
And I think it's fair to say that your belief is that these craft, we'll call them craft, uh, that you're creating videos of are related in some fashion to the experiences that you're having in, in remote viewing and, and in other states of consciousness. They are directly encouraging us to do this. You see, we were doing all the remote viewing side, but we didn't yet prove that the extraterrestrials or the the craft actually exist. Yeah. So people could ignore all of the remote viewing stuff because they say, yeah, but if aliens don't even exist, if the government isn't even saying that they're there, then like, so like, why should we even think? It's, you're just imagining everything. So we had to prove that the aliens exist, that the U2, that the UFOs were real. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't rely on the military stuff because the crap that's coming out of the military that they're releasing these fuzzy, grainy, tic-tac video stuff that looks like it's, you can hardly figure out what this, what it is. That wasn't enough. We had to have good video that's not foggy, foggy, fuzzy, grainy that we shot with our own cameras and we had to be able to show other people how to do it. So, the, like the famous Tic Tac video, that's like, that's been shown so many times as the example of a UFO that was released by the military uh, a couple of years ago. It's like, I've seen people on, 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 uh, on camera in, in major TV shows just saying things like, mm, it's probably a glitch. Well, you've got the testimony of the pilots. You've got radar, independent radar testimony, sometimes multiple pilots as, as well. Uh, so, and, and congressional hearings. So it, it's as if the tide has turned with regard to the public acknowledgement of these things. But you see, the military itself is acknowledging that even the Tic Tac video is real. Yeah. They are acknowledging exactly what you said, that the pilots said they actually saw it, that it was seen not just on one radar, but multiple radars, plus, you know, other scopes that they were using. And so they are acknowledging openly that they exist, that that happens. But at the same time, when you see it on major mainstream media, you'll have some scientists, some physicists come out and say, could have been a glitch. But your research suggests that they exist by the hundreds over all the major cities, if, yes. if not. <laughs> and, and of course, I believe most UFO reports collected by organizations such as MUFON are in rural areas. So there could be hundreds of thousands of them in the, in the sky based exactly. on your research. Exactly. And so the way around the person who says it's probably a glitch is to say, well, go take your own videos or let other people take their own videos. Mm -hmm. I have seen scientists who I really respect who look at all my stuff and say, I still think it could be a bug. You know, and I say, okay, there's many reasons why it can't be bugs. Bugs don't fly at 20,000 miles an hour. And we had the footage analyzed by one of the most senior air traffic control people on the planet Earth. Uh, that works in the Washington airport. So, but if you still think it might be a bug, I'm not trying to convince you to believe my video. I'm just trying to convince you to go get a camera. You're an academic. You have a budget. Buy a camera. Get, it only costs a couple hundred dollars to get it converted into a full spectrum. 
do it, put it into your computer, run it through Adobe Premiere. You see, make them yourself. There's no question that the images will appear. The and, and it's wonderful that you have the expertise of the air traffic controller. The expertise that I still would like to see would be somebody who really understands the uh, sensor. This, I think it's called a CMOS sensor that are used in digital cameras these days. The, the properties of the sensors, could there be some sort of a, a a gremlin on the sensor itself. There's always things you can ask people to do, and there's always experts. Yeah. But one thing that's clear about the sensors, the sensors can have a spot on them or something in the sensor that's not right, but they don't have a clear, solid object that's moving around the sensor and following and going. How do we know that? Uh, sensors don't have movable objects in them. No, but, uh, but electromagnetic currents are, can move around. That's a good reason to talk to the sensor expert. Yeah. <laughs> you can do this with multiple cameras. Right. And they don't all have to be Panasonic GH5s. They use, I believe they use a Sony mm -hmm. sensor on it. And when multiple cameras are capturing the same image, that would be... Yes and no. If the multiple cameras, we often have three cameras. Mm -hmm. If the multiple cameras are converted into full spectrum and we're shooting with an infrared filter on top, yes, they'll capture it. If it's a visible light camera, if the third camera is a visible light camera, pointed at the exact same spot, but say 20 feet away or whatever, mm. um, or even right next to it, nothing. We don't, we don't have any. Now, I know some people have examples with visible light cameras of seeing a UFO. We have never captured a UFO with visible light. So they're rare, but they do exist. They do exist, but because yeah. they're rare, we've never been sure. lucky to get one. Yeah. But when we use the infrared, as, as you saw yesterday, they're not we, rare. We had four good ones in yeah. 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And in the first 10 minutes, we had one good one. Yeah. And that was actually a really good one. And it was the orb. It was the orb configuration, and it was going like a bat out of hell. So you can tell because if a jet, if you capture one good thing is it's the same camera configuration. Wait till a jet flies overhead, like an aircraft from a yeah. from an airline, like a major airline. You'll see it actually go. And then what you do is you compare that speed to go from one side of the frame to the next to the speed that the that the UFO was traveling. And typically, the aircraft over a city will be traveling around 500 miles an hour, and the UFO will be going at least four times that. And that's the way you can get an estimate of the speed. Yeah. Well, Courtney Brown, what a pleasure to have this discussion. This could be a huge breakthrough, potentially, and I hope many people will uh, take you up on your offer, uh, acquire the equipment, and determine for themselves. What's going on? One there? last thing I'd like to add to it. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Yeah. So if you want a hobby, hunting UFOs is a great one. And you get to go different places. And you have an excuse now for going to the beach or going camping or something because you can always try it. <laughs> well, Courtney, once again, thank you so much for being with me. It's my pleasure. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. You are the reason that we are here.
I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos.